Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. Right now at Melbourne Heights, we are in the middle of a sermon series that we're calling The Games. And this entire sermon series is inspired by some of the most memorable moments that have ever taken place at the Olympic Games. And most of the time when we think about the Olympics, we think about those great moments of triumph. We think about that come-from-behind performance that leads to a gold medal, or we think about an athlete who overcomes low expectations and becomes an Olympic medalist. But the Olympics are also filled with heartbreaking stories that can leave athletes and spectators alike feeling discouraged. And that's true of life, too. Life is filled with times when we all feel discouraged. You might feel discouraged because of something happening with your health or in your family or at your job. And when we feel discouraged, we're all tempted to give up. But in this episode's sermon, we're going to hear the remarkable story of a future Olympic gold medalist who almost walked away from his sport because of a devastating injury. And through his story, we're going to be reminded that we are all stronger than we realize. So let's get right into this episode's sermon. Well, as we come together to worship today, we are pretty well smack dab in the middle of the games of the 32nd Olympiad. Just yesterday, there were 60 different medals that were awarded in 20 different events. And if you had the chance to tune in to watch any of the competitions that happened yesterday, you likely saw some pretty incredible athletic performances by the athletes that were competing in the events that inspired you. And when it's at its best, that's really what the Olympic Games are all about. They're not just about athletic competition. When they're at their best, the Olympic Games are filled with incredible stories about amazing athletes that can not only inspire us all, but they can also teach us all valuable life lessons. So right now at Melbourne Heights, we are exploring some of the most memorable moments that have ever taken place on the Olympic stage. And we're seeing what these moments can teach us as we continue to run the race that we call life today. But before I get into the story that I want to tell you from the Olympics this morning, there's another story that I want to tell you first. And this is the story of the origins of the song that we're going to sing to finish our worship service today. And that song starts with these words. It says, Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? And Jesus is my friend. My constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. This song was written by a woman named Sevilla D. Martin. And in my mind, one of the most incredible things about this song is that it was written in just one day. Now, maybe Sevilla D. Martin was able to write this song in just one day because she was an incredible songwriter who wrote over 400 other hymns, including God Will Take Care of You. Or maybe she was able to write it in one day because inspiration struck and the words just easily flowed from her pen onto a piece of paper. But I personally like to think that she was able to write this song in just one day because Sevilla D. Martin knew that every single word of this song is absolutely true. I mean, Jesus tells us that every word of this song is true inside of the Gospel of Matthew. Like in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus says this. He says, look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
aren't you worth much more than they are? And then again, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus goes on to say, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. So don't be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. But it's not just Jesus' teachings that would have convinced Sevilla D. Martin that all of these things were true. She also had first-hand experience where she saw this truth lived out before her very eyes. And this is the way that she actually explains the origins of the story, uh, of the song, His Eye is on the Sparrow. Sevilla D. Martin says, Early in the spring of 1905, my husband and I were sojourning in Elmira, New York. You can tell this happened a long time ago because she used the word sojourning. And she says, We contracted a deep friendship for a couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle, true saints of God. Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for nigh 20 years. Her husband was, had an incurable handicap, that, and he had to propel himself to and from his business in a wheelchair. Despite, despite their afflictions, they lived happy Christian lives, bringing inspiration and comfort to all who knew them. One day, while we were visiting with the Doolittles, my husband commented on their bright hopefulness, and he asked for the secret of it. Mrs. Doolittle's response was simple. She said, His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. The beauty of this simple expression of boundless faith gripped the hearts and fired the imagination of Dr. Martin and me. To him, his eye is on the sparrow was the outcome of that experience. Now, I imagine that if any of us had had the chance to get to meet the Doolittles for ourselves, that we would have been inspired by them as well. And we would have been inspired by them because it's always inspiring to meet someone who has been able to overcome some of life's greatest obstacles. And it's always inspiring to meet someone who has been able to keep their faith in the face of great difficulties. And it's always inspiring to meet someone who is just able to overcome and persist in their life. So if any of us had met the Doolittle families, we would have been inspired by them as well. It's just an incredible story of their faithfulness. And it's so inspirational to us because we all know how difficult life can be. We all know that there will be times that occur in life when our faith is tested and tried. We all know that there will be times in life that in spite of knowing the words of beautiful hymns and being able to quote the hope-filled words of Scripture and even being able to remember inspiring stories, that we still feel discouraged. There will be times when the shadows come. There will be times when our hearts feel lonely and we long for heaven home. The simple truth of the matter is there's not a single person worshiping with us today, whether you're worshiping with us in person or you're joining us online, that would struggle to answer the very first question that Sevilla D. Martin asks in this hymn. Why should I feel discouraged? I mean, I can prove it to you here if you'll play along with me for just a second. By show of hands, if you're joining us in person, how many of you have never felt discouraged in your life? Go ahead, raise your hand high if you have never felt discouraged in your life. All right, go ahead, look around the room, and you'll see nobody's hand is up. 
Because we've all felt discouraged. We've all felt discouraged. It's just a reality of life. And why do you feel discouraged? Well, you might feel discouraged because you've been taking care of an ailing loved one. But no matter what you do, no matter how much time you spend with them, they never seem to get any better. Or why do you feel discouraged? Well, it might be because you had a surgery that was supposed to fix something and give you a better quality of life, but it only ended up making things worse instead. Why do you feel discouraged? Because your company's been having a rough quarter and the rumors are starting to swirl that layoffs may be coming. Why do you feel discouraged? Because your kids can be a little bit wild and rambunctious and you don't know if they're ever going to grow out of it. Why do you feel discouraged? Because all of your friends seem to know exactly where they're headed in life, but you don't even know where to start. Why do you feel discouraged? There's a million reasons why you can feel discouraged, but we've all felt discouraged. And that's also true for the church. Yeah, the church feels discouraged sometimes too. And why do we feel discouraged? Well, sometimes when you walk into the sanctuary space on a Sunday morning, you see that it's a little emptier this week than it was last week. We feel discouraged. Or when you pray and you pray and you pray and you never seem to hear an answer, you feel discouraged. Or when you volunteer at a soup kitchen or a homeless shelter and you realize that no matter what you do and no matter how hard you try, there's always going to be somebody out there that's hungry, you feel discouraged. We've all felt discouraged. And that's why it's so important to have beautiful hymns like the one written by Seville D. Martin. That's why it's so important for us to remember the hope-filled words of scriptures like we heard Jesus share in the Gospel of Matthew. That's why it's so important that we have inspiring stories that we can share like the story of the Doolittle family. We need these, these beautiful hymns and hope-filled words and inspiring stories lift us up. I mean, we start feeling down. And I think it's because we need all of these things, these beautiful hymns and these hope-filled words and these inspiring stories that my attention was drawn to a story that I heard not long ago about an athlete who should have been competing in this year's Olympic Games. This athlete's name is Christian Taylor. And if it wasn't for a knee injury that he suffered back in March, he would have likely qualified to be competing in Tokyo this week. But just by telling you the fact that he should have been competing in the Olympics this year, you can probably figure out that Christian Taylor is a world-class athlete. And if you were to look at his resume, you would see things like, that range from everything from state records to conference titles to national championships. But Christian Taylor really started to make a name for himself 10 years ago, back in 2011. In 2011, he was competing in the triple jump, in track and field at the World Championship Games of track and field. And the competition in the triple jump that year was fierce. The competition fe featured the defending world champion, a gentleman by the name of Phillips Idowu. And with each jump that Idowu took in the competition, he seemed to create more and more space between himself and his next closest competitor. In Idowu's first jump of that competition, he jumped 17.56 meters. And since I know that we're not good at the metric system, that's 57 feet, 7 and a quarter inches. His next jump was even better. His second jump, he jumped over 58 feet. 
But Phillips Edowu saved his best jump for last in that competition. And in his final jump, he soared 17.77 meters, or 58 feet, 4 inches through the air. And when he landed in the sand pit at the end of the event, it seemed like he had another world championship sewn up. And that's because nobody had expected that Christian Taylor would actually be competitive in that year's event. I mean, from the very beginning, Christian Taylor just didn't look like he was quite at the same level as someone like Phillips Edowu. In Christian Taylor's first jump in the event, he only jumped 17.04 meters. That's about two and a half feet behind the mark that Edowu set. In his second jump in the competition, Christian Taylor still ended up being more than a foot short of the mark set by Edowu. So it came down to the last jump of the entire competition for Christian. So he took his place at the start of the runway, and then he began sprinting down toward the pit. Along the way, he hopped off of his right foot, he skipped off of the same foot, and then he launched himself through the air off of his left foot, and he soared 17.96 meters, which is nearly 59 feet through the air. Besting Idowu's mark by almost eight inches. And in that moment, Christian Taylor became a world champion. The very next year, in 2012, he was competing again on the biggest stage in sports at the Olympic Games in London, England. And once again, Christian Taylor found himself off to a slow start. But again, he was able to overcome that slow start, and by the end of the event, he found that he had won the triple jump in the 2012 Olympics, and taken home a gold medal. At just 22 years of age, Christian Taylor was a world champion, an Olympic gold medalist, and he was on top of the world. But it didn't last long. Not long after the London Games, Christian realized that he had a nagging injury in his left knee that just wasn't going away. So he decided to seek some medical advice. And the doctors told him, that his left knee was failing him, and that if he continued to participate in the triple jump, that he would destroy his knee and jeopardize his health in the future. At that moment, Christian Taylor had a choice to make. He could continue to compete in the triple jump, the event that he was the very best in the world at, knowing that with every hop and skip and jump he took down that runway, that he was risking his health and jeopardizing his future. Or he could walk away from it all as a world champion and Olympic gold medalist, but do it before he even reached the prime of his career. Talk about a discouraging situation. Christian Taylor had spent his entire life working to become a world-class athlete, and he had accomplished it. He had become the very best in the world at what he did. But in the blink of an eye, seemed like it was all going to be taken away from him. But Christian Taylor is more than just a world-class athlete. Christian Taylor is also a person of faith. So Christian Taylor knows the beautiful words of hymns like the one that Sevilla D. Martin wrote. And he knows the hope-filled words and promises that we find in Scripture like the ones that Jesus makes us in Matthew. And Christian Taylor knows inspiring stories about people just like the Doolittle family. But Christian Taylor also is aware that in spite of these beautiful songs and powerful words and inspiring stories, 
that in the end, none of those things really matter all of that much. And they don't matter because what the book of James tells us is absolutely true when it says this, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. Faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. What that means is that Christian Taylor knew that he couldn't just lay around on the couch and wait for a miracle to come. What this means is that Christian Taylor knew that he couldn't just sit around and twiddle his thumbs and just assume that everything was going to be okay. What this means is that Christian Taylor knew that in order for him to have a future, that he needed to live out his faith. He needed to put his faith into action. But how do you do that? How do you put your faith into action when you feel discouraged? Because by its very definition, being discouraged means that you do not have the will to persist in something. So when you feel discouraged, you don't have the desire to act on your faith. When you feel discouraged, you don't have the desire to act on your faith. So here Christian is, with nothing more than a bad knee in a bleak future. And he has to be feeling discouraged. He doesn't know if he's ever going to be able to continue to compete in the event that he loves more than anything else. But the incredible thing about Christian Taylor's story is that instead of fixating on everything that was going wrong, he decided to think about everything that was still going right. So yes, he was facing an incredibly discouraging situation where his life as a competitive athlete might be almost over. But Christian spent time thinking about everything that was still going right. He remembered that in spite of his left knee injury, that he still was a world-class sprinter who could flat-out run down any runway. He knew that he had developed this flawless form over the course of his athletic career that allowed him to compete at the absolute highest level in one of track and field's most difficult disciplines. And he knew that he had incredible power that would allow him to leap over 58 feet through the air. So rather than focusing on everything that was going wrong, he decided to focus on what was going right. And he decided that he would use his strengths to overcome his weakness. And how did he do that? Well, Christian decided that he was going to build on his world-class speed that he was going to build on his nearly flawless form, that he was going to build on the power that he had, and he was going to try to do something that no world-class jumper had ever done before. Christian Taylor decided that instead of using his left leg as his takeoff leg, he was going to switch and start using his right leg instead. So instead of jumping off of his injured left knee, he was going to learn how to jump off of his right leg instead. Now, that may sound simple to those of us who aren't world-class athletes, but it's not. What Christian Taylor decides to do is basically the equivalent of a right-handed pitcher working so hard that they make it to Major League Baseball only to decide once they get there that they're going to start throwing with their left hand instead. Christian had 22 years of muscle memory built up in him that allowed him to be one of the very best in the world at what he did. And he was going to throw all that out the window and start from scratch. So, as you can probably imagine, the first year after he changed his takeoff leg from his left leg to his right, Christian didn't do very well in any of the competitions. He didn't win a single competition that year. 
So he went from being a defending world champion, an Olympic gold medalist, to not even being able to make it onto the podium in 2013. But by the time that 2016 rolled around, Christian was once again competing on the biggest stage in his sport. Right. He had made it back to the Olympic Games. Now I told you a little while ago that in 2011 at the World Championships, it took Christian every jump he was allowed to make in order for him to become that world champion. But in the 2016 Olympics in Rio, it only took Christian one jump. In his first jump in that competition, he soared 58 feet 7 inches through the air. And that ended up being enough to make Christian a two-time Olympic gold medalist. And Christian was able to do that because he decided that rather than fixating on his flaws and his struggles, that he was going to use his faith and his strength to overcome whatever it was that he faced. You know what? Jesus gives us the same advice, these same words of wisdom in the passage of Scripture that I want to take a closer look at today. The passage that we're going to be looking at it comes from Revelation chapter 3. And in this passage, Jesus is dictating a letter that he wants to be sent to the church in the ancient city of Sardis. Now, I'll be completely honest with you here. We really don't know much about the church in Sardis. But we actually do know quite a bit about the city of Sardis. And the city of Sardis was an important and a prominent city during the reign of Alexander the Great. But by the time that Jesus is born and the Roman Empire has taken over, the city of Sardis... Well, it just isn't that important anymore. So most of the people that were living in Sardis, they would have been far prouder of their past than they would have been of their present reality. And it stands to reason that the same thing would have been true for the church in the city of Sardis. The church in the city of Sardis had likely once been a prominent, important, and powerful church. But over the years, they had left their glory days behind them. So that church was likely filled with people who were feeling discouraged. So I want you to hear the message that Jesus has for these people that are feeling discouraged. So Revelation chapter 3, but before we start reading it, I do want to remind you, don't get too fixated on the signs and the symbols that you hear in this passage. Instead, really listen to what Jesus says for folks that are feeling discouraged. Revelation chapter 3, we'll start reading in verse 1. Here's what it says. Write to the angel of the church in Sardis. The one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. But if you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you will have no idea at what hour I will come against you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the victor will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's just be honest here. The way that Jesus starts out this letter to the church in Sardis, it's a little bit harsh, right? I mean, the very first thing that Jesus says to the church in Sardis is, I know your work, 
and you have a reputation for being alive, you are dead. That sounds pretty harsh. But if you remember the verse that I shared with you earlier from the book of James, it helps us make sense of what Jesus is actually telling the church in Sardis. And what the book of James says is that faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. And that's what the church in Sardis is like. The church in Sardis, they have faith, but their faith is not producing faithful activity. They're a church that seems too discouraged to be able to do what God has called them to do. And they've forgotten their strength. And they can only see their weaknesses. They've forgotten the good that's happening and can only see the bad. They've forgotten the positive. And they can only see the negative. But then Jesus tells them, in the very next sentence, to strengthen what remains. What that means is that Jesus wants the church in Sardis to know that there is still something strong there. There is still good there. There is still positive there. And this is something that the church and their members there can build upon. This is something that will lead this church to continue the work that God has called them to do. This morning, I want you to know that the same thing is true for you. No matter what is going on in your life, right now. No matter how negative things may seem, no matter how much bad there seems instead of good, no matter how much weakness there seems to be instead of strength, there is still something strong in you. Something that you can build upon. There is something inside of you that will allow you to continue to follow the path that God has placed before you. To continue to run the race that God wants you to run. When you feel discouraged, when the shadows come, when your heart feels lonely and you long for heaven and home, I want you to remember this. You are stronger than you think. You are stronger than you think. And you are stronger than you think you are because your strength comes from one who is greater than any struggle you will ever face. Your strength comes from God. So as we think about life lessons that we can learn from the Olympic Games that will help us as we continue to run the race of life today, I think Christian Taylor's story is a great story for us all to remember. Because we will all find ourselves in situations that are similar to his. We will all find ourselves in situations that can be discouraging. We'll all find ourselves in situations where it's far easier to see everything that's wrong with it than everything that's right. We will all find ourselves in situations where it's easier to be negative than it is to be positive. But when we find ourselves in those situations, we need to remember that in spite of the negatives, in spite of everything that seems to be going wrong, in spite of everything that seems like a weakness, God has given us incredible strength. God wants us to be able to overcome any obstacle that we meet in the race of life. God knows we can do it. That we can face those obstacles and overcome them. Because God 
is the one who gives us strength. And if we will build on the strengths that God gives each of us, we can overcome whatever we face. Because you really are stronger than you think. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, we're thankful for the story of Christian Taylor and the passage that we read today from the book of Revelation, the words that Jesus had for the church in Sardis. God, you know that life is filled with times that can be discouraging. And God, you know that when we face those discouraging times that it's easy for us to want to give up. But God, you've made us stronger than we realize we are. You give us strength to face any obstacle in this race of life. So God, when we're feeling discouraged, help us change our focus. Rather than focusing on everything that's wrong, rather than focusing on the negative, help us to see what's going right. Help us to see the positive. Help us to see the strength that you give us to overcome. Allow us to be willing and able to face any situation the hope and the faith that you are with us and that you will help us make it through. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's sermon and the story of Christian Taylor has inspired you to face whatever obstacles you may have in your life. And be reminded that even in the face of great challenges, even in the face of incredible weakness, even in the face of overwhelming negativity, that there is still positive in your life. There are still good things that are happening and that God will give you the strength to face any challenge that comes in the race that we call life. Now, in our next episode, we're going to be finishing up the sermon series on the games. And over the last couple of weeks, we've explored stories that have taken place in 2012, 2016, 1992. But next week, we're going to go further back in Olympic history and hear another incredible story. So I hope that you'll join us for that next episode. As always, that episode drops on Tuesday mornings. And if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. But you don't have to wait to Tuesday to hear our next sermon. You're welcome to join us on Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We would love to have you come worship with us live. Well, that's it for this week. And so until next time, I hope that you guys have a great week. We'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.